how do you make sure that they're just repeating that message so that you're top of mind when they're considering that move? They're thinking, you know what? I'm going to go work with Darla because, you know, I've heard great things. I understand what she does. I understand the value proposition. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, now the time is right. I'm going to pick up the phone. Today, we're talking all about influencers and using them to grow your business. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business? Then welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast, helping home professionals and luxury brands accelerate their success with proven marketing strategies and expert industry practices. Now, here's your host, Darla Powell. This podcast is brought to you by Wingnut Social, a marketing agency specializing in amplifying luxury brands across the U.S. and Canada. For more information, go to wingnutsocial.com. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Jethro Powell. And if you're new to the show, my name is really Darla Julia Powell. There you go. I've spilled the beans for New Year's. If you're listening to this in real time, it is December the 30th. It is almost the end of the year of the dumpster fire, which is 2020. And we here at Wingnut Social are wishing you health and prosperity for 2021. Hopefully we get those vaccines and we go back to life as normal. I personally, for one, would like to go back and sit my ass in a movie theater, but that's just me. Maybe even a restaurant close to somebody without my face covered. (laughs) They're saying that that's going to happen in fall. Hopefully it'll happen sooner. Anyway, here is to putting out the dumpster fire in 2021 and wishing you guys all the best. Have you guys heard the latest news from Luann Nigera of a well-designed business podcast, right? She's my, what am I going to say? Was my spirit animal? That's not quite right. But she is the goat, and that is an animal, and goat is the greatest of all time. Luann Nigera just announced ticket sales for Luann Live 2021, happening February, what is it, the 2nd through the 4th. Oh my gosh, that is going to be so amazing. If you guys were at the live event last, not last year, it was 2020, it was 2019 was the live event. It was amazing. It was the first one she ever put out. It was terrific. But you guys, this time it's going to be a virtual event, but it's not going to be just any run-of-the-mill virtual event, virtual webinar. If you know Luann, like I know Luann, you know there's going to be some razzle-dazzle and some serious takeaways. And you guys can find out more about that at luannnigera.com. And I am also going to be in it as one of the co-authors with Luann in, hold on, I got to get my breath. This is a long title. Okay, here we go. A well-designed business podcast, The Power Talk Friday Experts, Volume 2. So I'm going to be in that paired with a designer of uh, TBD TB to be announced. I'm very excited. I'm so excited. I remember being an MC at the first one, and I'm not really an MC kind of girl. I'm not like a big extrovert, <laughs> which is probably why I'm not an MC this time. But I remember seeing the experts and the designers, and I was just really like had sparkles in my eyes. I'm like, oh, that looks so sweet. That's what a great connection. That looks so fun. Well, now I finally get to do it. So again, go over to luannagara.com, check that out, get your tickets for Luann Live. Okay, so with New Year's coming up, 2021, New Year's resolutions, let's say it. Now, I have to tell you, do we even need New Year's resolutions after the year that was 2020? I think we've done enough, right? Do we have to make promises to ourselves to be better people in any realm or any genre of area that we want to improve on, I think we're good. I think we might get a pass on New Year's resolutions, generally speaking, but I'll have to tell you, I have made one, and that is to do more video. 
truthfully, I love doing video. And if you go over to our Instagram page at Wingnut Social on Instagram, you'll see our latest IGTV video was actually an interview that I did with Desi Cresswell, who was on the podcast. She was on episode 172, I want to say. And her episode was all about developing a healthy mindset for your business because, you know, nine times out of 10, we're our own worst enemies and setting a mindset to develop a healthy business, whether it's imposter syndrome or being assertive enough to collect a payment. Well, I interviewed Desi, Desi Cresswell on our IGTV channel. And let me tell you, we did an impromptu coaching session and I was a guinea pig for y'all. You're welcome. We actually did a little deconstructing uh, coaching session with yours truly here, the wingnut Grand High Poobah, for some some things I've been struggling with in the design firm side for Darla Palantiri, struggling with some collecting. And I think it went really well. We got a lot of terrific feedback for that. So if you guys want to see a terrific coaching session by Desi Cresswell and what you guys can get from hiring a business coach like her, go over to the Wingnut Social Instagram account and check out that IGTV video. It's one of the most recent, if it's not the most recent by the time you're hearing this. And now it's time for Mini News Sesh. Mini News Sesh. It's time for Mini News. Mini News Sesh. Yeah! Hey, Wingnuts, today for our social media Mini News Sesh, we are joined by Wingnut Social Director Extraordinaire Shana Heinrichy. Shana, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. It actually is going to make the social media mini news sesh way smarter. <laughs> so, Shana, we're talking today about Twitter fleets and LinkedIn stories. What you got for us? Well, ephemeral social has been around for a while now. It really started with Snapchat. And if you all remember about Five to seven years ago, everybody was saying that ephemeral social was going to be everywhere. The stuff that disappears. There's yeah. All anybody wants is social media that disappears after a certain amount of time. They don't want to be putting themselves out there permanently as much. And so, you know, it really didn't happen as quickly as everybody thought it would because we started to see, you know, Instagram then had snorry, stories, which was... Snorries. <laughs> Those are the boring ones, snorries. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I think the Facebook ones are more the snorries to me personally. Mm-hmm. But um, Same. yeah, now it really does seem to be everywhere. And we're seeing more platforms like catch on. And with, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn now doing ephemeral social that doesn't stay out there for very long, it's there for 24 hours. It really is seeming like, you know, this is a big future of social and it's going to be prominent everywhere. How much of this do you think is due to the people maybe not getting jobs because they posted some kind of post that offended people, you know, five, ten years ago? Like, let's say Trudeau in blackface <laughs> that's on, tw- on social, right? That's a yeah. great example. He caught for that however many years later for that. How much of this is that kind of influence and that kind of pressure for people not wanting to ruin their lives? Well, I think that there's, you know, it's still around, even though it's ephemeral. People can take screenshots of this. 
So I'm sure if Trudeau posted a picture like that today, there would be many screenshots of it and it would be everywhere still. So even though it's ephemeral, you still have to remember that it is out there and people do see it and people can copy it and it can come back. But I think what's happened is that social has matured and, you know, it still really is a relatively young Mm -hmm. enterprise, social media. And so the public has gotten used to using it and the public's getting educated and they've seen a lot of these consequences that you're talking about. And so I think for Twitter and LinkedIn specifically, there's this not quite wanting to post because you don't want it to come back and bite you because Twitter's going to everyone generally. It's not generally just a friends list like Facebook might be or you know, Instagram maybe as well. And LinkedIn is used for professional stuff. How popular do you think that these are going to be the stories features on LinkedIn and Twitter? Do you think it's more of like a keeping up with the Joneses knee jerk kind of reaction thing? I, I have to say from personal experience, I'm kind of digging the fleets on Twitter. I haven't really dug into the LinkedIn stories, but I'm kind of liking the fleets. I don't know why it's just stories, but I'm wondering if it's going to make Twitter more relevant again for luxury brands or for the interior design industry. Do you see any kind of impact there? Or do you think it's just the the newest toy? Well, it might. It makes a lot of sense for these platforms, you know, to really try and get individuals posting more and to try and focus on images. Because like Twitter especially is not an image-based platform at all. And a lot of people who use it, that's kind of one of the things they like about it. They don't want to have to be push to post an image every time they want to say something like you do with Instagram, for example. Right. So I think that they might catch on, I think for individuals, the problems that I have with them and about them catching on is that the experience still feels a lot like Instagram stories. It doesn't feel like Twitter. It's not in your feed. There's a certain way people engage with Twitter And when you have to just like go to the top and click these images that basically just looks like Instagram stories, I think if it's too much duplicating that experience, I don't know if it's going to pull more people in. It might alienate the people who like using Twitter. Oh, that's a good point. Because today, actually, on Darla Palantir's Twitter account, I didn't post an image. I just post some little silly thing. <laughs> and that tends to be what does better on Twitter, like a quote or some kind of thought or that, right? The more so than the imaging things, which is why I think interior designers as a whole, I'm not going to say loathe Twitter, <laughs> but <laughs> it's pretty close. They're, they're not big fans of Twitter, so maybe they're not using it right. But I'm curious as if Twitter's going to reward in their, their Twitty algorithm, people using their new toy like Instagram does, have they let on that that could be a thing or we're we just speculating at this point? We really don't know. But just with how separate Fleets is from the Twitter feed, I'm not convinced that it's going to have an impact. Now, it's different okay. like with Instagram Reels. You can post the Reels into your feed and that may get that post on your feed seen by more people in the algorithm. But I'm not confident that that's going to be the case with Twitter or LinkedIn, but it, it could be. We just don't really know yet. And reels are doing really well for us with clients, right? Posting, doing some reels and having them show up in the feeds are, is getting some excellent traction. Yes, much more engagement than 
just posting the same image directly into the feed without going through Reels. So I highly recommend people start using Reels as a way to boost your engagement. Now, do we have a lot of experience with LinkedIn Stories yet? Have we taken a deep dive there? I don't think so, right? I mean, I've done a couple there, and I actually have gotten some engagement. So I'm wondering, again, if it's just because it's the new toy that that could get some traction. I always like the newest and latest thing. Yeah, I mean, it's important in your strategy to use the newest and latest thing. It's not just... I know, Darla, you like the glitzy stuff. So do I. I do. I do. (laughs) It's new. It's fun. Let's play with technology. That's great. But really for your strategy purposes as well, it's important to do so because most of the time there will be some benefit that you're getting in the rest of your social on that platform for using that new feature, that new device. But we're really uncertain with the Twitter fleets and LinkedIn stories if that's happening or not. I just don't know. They haven't been around long enough to have really solid data on how right. that might be affecting the rest of your LinkedIn performance, for example. So what would you recommend at this point to the listeners in the audience to post on LinkedIn stories and fleets that might be different or offer a different content pillar than the regular feeds? Yeah, well, I think that on Twitter, I think that using memes and GIFs are super popular, super popular, and they're often not really used by designers. I personally think that Twitter is one of those platforms that designers don't like, but I think they're using <laughs> yes. it wrong. I think it could be highly successful for them if they really did it right, but it takes a lot of time to do it right. We don't all have that time. I mean, I do because I work in this field, but (laughs) most designers don't have that kind of time. No. And it takes at least two or three times more effort to have a successful Twitter account because you have to post so much more often. Yes. Which is why if you're doing like little quotes or little quips or your thoughts of the day, you'd be surprised. You know, you can do those more. That's not a lot of curating. Like this morning... (laughs) (laughs) This morning I posted, I had two pickled eggs for breakfast. I'm not quite sure what this is saying about my life at this point. (laughs) Pickled eggs for breakfast. That's a true story. So I think for some reason, that's the kind of stuff Twitter likes. All right, Shana. So ephemeral content is not going away. Well, it does like in 24 hours, but you know what I mean? (laughs) If you're got extra faced and you want to post some stories, go ahead. It's going to be gone in 24 hours. Just be careful of those screenshots. Shana, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week. Mini news sesh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Eric DeHaan. Eric DeHaan is a Los Angeles native and serial entrepreneur. He launched his first startup in the e-commerce space from his college dorm room. He is the CEO and co-founder of Open Influence and a key authority in the influencer marketing space, helping shape the industry since its inception. Ooh, Inception, that was a good movie. Dahan has established Open Influence as the premier influencer marketing company operating across multiple verticals and platforms. With an international scope and background, Dahan has successfully piloted its global expansion throughout the United States, Europe, and Asia. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Eric Dahan to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Eric Dahan. Welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. How the hell are you? Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> It's a pleasure to have you. So today we're going to be talking about influencer marketing, but from a different twist than what we've normally done. Normally, we've told the audience, hey, are you interested in being uh, the next Kim Kardashian? Do you want to be an influencer? Well, here's how the hell you do it. But today we're going to talk about how small businesses and luxury brands can utilize 
the marketing power of influencers to help propel their businesses into the year 2021. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to dig in? I'm ready. <laughs> you sound ready. <laughs> All right, Eric. So first of all, I want to start with some of the most obvious question. Is influencer still a dirty word? Um, you know, <laughs> wow. do you know what I mean by that? Right. You, so I have, you, you came out swinging. I came, uh, I came out swinging. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us, is it still a, a dirty word? And if it isn't, why, what has changed? Yeah. So, so I think when people think of the word influencer, there's something about that kind of feels like vapid. It feels like manipulative. You know, it, it feels a little off, especially for someone to describe themselves as an influencer, right? Re the, the word that people in the industry tend to use is just creator, right? They're creators. They have influence. Now, right. from an advertiser standpoint, they are influencers because from an advertiser standpoint, they're engaging with them for their influence. But, you know, the idea of calling them an influencer as an, as an audience member just something feels off. Like, yeah, I'm signing up to be influenced. And the other thing too, is when you think about an influencer, you think of these Instagram models, sort of quasi fashion, quasi lifestyle models, seems very vain. But, you know, the reality is like, that's not the world of influencers. That's not the world of creators. You have teachers, you have scientists and mathematicians, you have people that teach beekeeping to uh, to gardening, to, to really everything you could think about. People doing recaps about sci-fi, right? Like you have that stormtrooper in your background. There are influencers and creators that just recap movies and look for Easter eggs. So it's really wherever there's a topic someone's interested in, there are creators to share those sort of stories. And essentially, those are influencers. So, so I think in terms of calling yourself an influencer, probably not the right term. I'd use creator, but from a brand standpoint, you know, brands are looking to work with influencers. They're not just looking to people that create content. They're looking to creators that have an audience and have influence. So what do you think has changed in the recent years to make the word influencer a softer hit, right? Into creator. I know we have nano influencers and micro influencers now. Where do you see the industry leaning to make that a more comfortable fit for people so they're not instantly thinking of, you know, oh my God, I'm Kim Kardashian. <laughs> so, so it's interesting, right? Like I, I feel like every time I would have a conversation with a brand or every time I have a conversation with a brand, it's kind of like a little snapshot. And if I do a time lapse over the years, there's a very clear trend, right? And so, you know, initially brands were really picturing the lifestyle model, Instagram model, and like whenever they think about influencer, and they'd often use like the Kardashians or like Kendall Jenner as an example. Like I can't tell you how many times I've heard a brand use Kendall as an example of an influencer. And I think there's been this sort of understanding that that's what an influencer is. And as the market matures and as brands become more familiar with working with influencers and as people just become more familiar with the idea of there are people out there like, like you, Greg, creating and just sharing your content online and you have influence, you have an audience, people listen to you because they trust you. I think the industry is getting a lot more comfortable with this sort of understanding of influencer being a much, much broader term. That's sort of the biggest trend in terms of kind of overall understanding that I'm seeing. And with that, brands are understanding that it's not really about the big names. It's really about finding someone who's the right fit. It, like it doesn't matter if someone has 5 million followers, if they're not right for your brand, that's not going to perform. You're better off working with someone that has 5,000 followers 
and has a really loyal audience that really cares because they're going to do a much better job moving the needle for you. Right. So, and that's the biggest change that I have seen in, in the most recent couple of years is the trending down from the million, the 500,000, the, the hundreds of thousands of followers into that more grassroots kind of influencer space and how engaged is their audience? You know, how curated is their audience? What kind of niche do they live in and how devoted are their followers? I do see that happening. But so that I, I think is positive and the industry is definitely listening to the turnoff that we've had. There was, um, I presented at High Point last year with Nicole Heimer and I forget the influencer's name. She was doing curated, like authentic content. And I'm doing air quotes here if you can't see me. And she faked the motorcycle accident. I don't know if you're familiar with that situation, but it was all like, I was in a motorcycle accident, but it was like glamour shots and totally staged. It was hilarious. And I think that was the beginning of the end for that kind of influencer situation. But let's talk about small businesses. In a lot of cases, like for myself, I'm an interior designer here in Miami and for Darla Powell Interiors, shameless plug. And I am the face of the business. It's Darla Powell. I'm the, I don't want to choke on it, but I'm the influencer for the business. I'm a micro-influencer in that space. Say I wanted to look out and collaborate or to utilize a service like you guys do through influencer marketing. How would someone in my situation where Darla is the brand utilize influencer marketing? And let's just use the interior design space for now to help grow my brand and my business. I mean, ultimately, again, it comes down to really the fit of what you're trying to communicate, right? So like for your brand, and let's say any brand, right, in the furniture space, I'll throw out a few examples, right? If you're, you you have to consider where your audience is, you also have to consider, and it comes down to like the basics, right? Understand your audience. So who are they? What's your value proposition to that audience? Right. When they do work with you or, or when they do purchase your product, what are they getting in exchange for that? Like, why are they doing that? What triggers them to do that? And that's sort of the really the starting point to then work backwards because surprising, this sounds really simple and it sounds like, you know, I'm telling you to buy low and sell high, right? It sounds like <laughs> stupid common sense advice, but I can't tell you how many times people kind of just glaze through it and just start saying, oh, I'm going to work with this person and this person because I know them or because they they followed me back. Or mm-hmm. That's the wrong way to approach it. You want to be really strategic in how you're working with influencers. So really start there. Do the exercise. If anything, it forces you to refine what you already know about your business and articulate it to where it's more actionable or to really develop a strategy if you don't have one. So th- that's why I, I like to start. Then when it comes to working with influencers, it's just understanding like if you're looking for a specific market, you want to lean more towards influencers that have an audience in that market. If your average you know, client is, let's say, a real estate agent or first-time home buyer, right, that's going to really, really change who you work with and the kind of influencers you work with. If let's say it's someone in real estate, you might want to find someone like a, you know, a local agent that has... 20,000, 30,000 followers and a, and a loyal audience with that community to work with and partner with, that's going to change your message. And so ultimately, you have three parts of marketing, and this is truer than ever with, with influencer marketing. You need the message, the messenger, and the audience all to align to have an effective result from that campaign. And so that's really the way to look at it. So finding the right influencer that talks to the right audience isn't enough. You need to then craft the message and the call to action that's going to resonate with them. With their audience as well as your audience, I'm, I'm imagining, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so, like, and, and what's that value proposition? What's that call to action? For the people who aren't familiar with the value proposition, just explain real quick what we're talking about there. Yeah. Value proposition is why 
would someone work with you or, or buy your product, right? It's that simple. Like, what are they getting out of that exchange? And so some companies like Amazon, their value proposition is selection and price, right? So you could find anything you want and get a price and then also get delivered quickly, which is now the new norm, right? Others, it might be, you know, quality of service. Maybe, you know, you're competing on on price where it's like a, a lower price point piece of furniture, right? If you're in the furniture space. So it's really just understanding what are you highlighting when you go to market? And then how do you translate that with influencers to drive those conversions? So there's a lot of deep diving that you have to do. I imagine you would have to like be super locked into who your ideal client is and who you're trying to reach. In the beginning, there's what What do you recommend for someone to do to, to get that information to do that deep dive? Or is this more of an aspirational thing? Like, okay, these are the clients I have. These are the clients I want to have. Tell me a little bit about how that process works in the decision making. So, so you mean for us, how we go after clients? Or you mean more so for us, like figuring out? Yeah, who, I, I guess you mean my client, like, like as a customer. Yeah, what? How you? How do you figure out exactly what your value prop is for Darla Pal Interiors? What our value proposition is is that we do full service interior design. They don't have to lift a finger. It's a beautiful space and it's functional. And our ideal clients tend to be professionals in their mid forties, um, usually empty nesters, but sometimes with grown children. So how would I dissect that to look, start looking at Instagram in the Miami area for people who would work as an influencer to partner with, with my design firm? And I say that we, right now, we are doing a lot of designs for new home buyers. So what would my process be to say if I'm going through Instagram or if I'm looking through a, an influencer or hashtags that I like that align with my, my brand? What's the first step? What am I looking for? It sounds like empty nesters buying a new home, looking to redo. They have some, you know, redo their home. They have some disposable income where it's not they're throwing everything from IKEA into a room, and and, <laughs> and if it works, not. it's good. But but they want to create a space they enjoy. First and foremost is just understanding what that customer journey looks like, right? Like what are the sort of things that they do? Like are they on Pinterest looking for design inspiration? Is that a signal or a, or buy, an interest signal or a buy signal? from your audience? Are there certain accounts that they follow? Now, are they, are, you know, are, are there certain accounts from a topic standpoint, but there also might be accounts just from a lifestyle standpoint, right? You might say, well, you know, our audience is of this age, they're empty nesters, they have some disposable income, you know, here's some influencers that have a pretty broad appeal to this audience, or here's, here's some influencers whose audience makes this up. And let's say the, the decision maker in your business is the, um, you know, the, the woman in the relationship as opposed to the the husband or man, you know, that, that's as you it know, should that, be. Yeah. As as it always should be. Um <laughs> so, so, <laughs> but then, you know, you're gonna want to find, okay, I want an influencer that has an audience of this type that talks about topics that are interesting to this audience and relevant to this audience, right? So it's not just like here's a comedy account that people of this audience follow, but here's someone that talks about their home, maybe talks about lifestyle, talks, you know, has had success promoting different, maybe like home accessories or, you know, um, or furniture items and whose audience skews heavily female within the demographic. And so those are all the kind of signals. So you want to look at the psychographic information. So what is that influencer talking about and what's their audience interested in? And then the demographic in information, like, you know, how old are they? Where are they located? What's the gender breakdown of that audience? And so, you know, it, and it depends um, what you're trying to do in terms of how much you lean on psychographic over anything else, right? If you're selling, 
toothpaste, your market is people with teeth. So, so it's a, <laughs> right. So it's a much, it's a much broader market that you're focusing on. Right. Um, you might just want to look at demographics and say, okay, we want to make sure most of the audience, for example, is in the U S because that's where we sell our toothpaste. We we'll look for a dentist influencer. Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> Some, are, there are, the, there uh, are, yeah, there are. Yeah. And on TikTok too. Yeah, yeah, there are. We actually have one at Wingnut Social who's a client is a dentist. Hi, we do luxury brands and dentist. This is it. 2021 New Year's resolutions. Is your website in decent shape? Is it optimized for SEO? Well, it's that time of year when we make new goals for our businesses and it's time to do a deep dive into your website and make sure that it's living up to its full SEO potential. That's search engine optimization. It's what drives the Googles. It's that Google juice that gets ideal clients to pick up the phone and give you a call. And did you know that Wingnut Social offers a full website SEO audit? That's Absolutely 100% correct. You can purchase it directly from the website. And let me tell you, this isn't just any BS printed run-of-the-mill SEO audit because Wingnut Social digs in where others don't go. We explore all of your technical web stats and dive into the back end of your website, that's what she said, to check for things that most SEO audits don't even examine. We look at things such as your metadata, information architecture, naming conventions, SEO optimization of your content, and so much more. All of this helps us to formulate a plan so you can optimize your website for the search results that you want in order to attract your ideal clients. For more information on the SEO audit, please hop on over to wingnutsocial.com slash SEO or give us a call at 1-877-WINGNUT. That's wingnutsocial.com slash SEO or 1-877-WINGNUT. Okay, so when we were we were in our pre-interview chat, we came up with a really good example. A lot of the interior designers, and we do have a lot of clients at Wingnut Social, whose appeal is to moms, young, new moms, moms in their 30s. They want to help design spaces, do nurseries, and that kind of thing. And we came up with um, the example of you could reach out to a mommy blogger or someone in that space that doesn't do design or anything, but they do blogs and, and that. That's, I don't have kids like that. So I'm not that familiar if I'm using crazy terms, but something like that. And, and to work out a collaboration or a deal with Susan McNuggets, the mommy blogger, because that is your audience for 100% sure in your local area. So let's talk about remuneration. Let's talk about Benjamins. Is this something that we can approach a micro-influencer or an influencer without throwing money at them? Can we do like a trade kind of situation? What is appropriate now in the market? With micro-influencers, there's that's the part of the market that still has some flexibility because, you know, micro-influencers aren't getting necessarily inundated with deals. I mean, there's so many of them. And so there's, you know, I think that's where you have flexibility to build the relationship and to work with them. Now, virtually all influencers want to get paid. Yeah. They can't pay their bills with just free stuff. That's true. Um, and so- I've tried. There's an exchange there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tougher, um, for sure. So I would say the, the big thing is just if you can and, and you'll, you know, maybe get the first post or second post, you know, as kind of a favor, if you have that relationship, maybe there's some sort of rev share deal you could work out. Again, a lot of influencers are really cautious to do rev share deals because typically they've gone burnt in all yeah. in full transparency, the, you know, for every, 20 they do, you know, maybe one or two really works out. And that's not because they're not good. It's because, you know, there are a lot of brands out there that just 
don't really have their value proposition filled, like figured out. Yeah. They're not fully set up. And so the conversions aren't necessarily working. And, and typically the brands that know their conversion model, they're just like, yeah, here's, you know, here's some cash. I don't want to deal with the back and forth. Let's streamline this because they know that, you know, they're getting a, a return on their ad spend. So instead of going back and forth, trying to get a favor done, they're able to move a lot more quickly. And, and that's the other thing to note. Um, if you're not going to pay an influencer, like you have to just keep in mind that they're doing you a favor. Like you can't tell them, hey, I want the post to go live on, on Wednesday <laughs> at 2 p.m. And, and, you know, it's like you're not paying them and, right. and they're the ones giving you the value. And so you really lose that ability. And like it's in those details as well in the content with that influencer's post that really makes the difference in performance, right? Making sure you have the right call to action, making sure the video or the image or whatever the content format is, does a really good job of highlighting your value proposition as a brand. And so those are really all the key aspects to, um, to consider. Okay, let's say you found your influencer. You think that this person is going to align perfectly with your brand, your value proposition, and, and all that jazz. How do you determine what the value of their influence is? Is there like a set dollar amount per so many thousands of followers? In the interior design industry and in the industries that we we service, the luxury brands tend to be pretty high ticket items. So if you're thinking about, I'm going to trade a bedroom remodel for this influencer's such and such, how do we determine where the parity is as far as, you know what I mean? Their impact versus your services. Yeah. So, so trade is interesting with furniture and high ticket items because it's like, you know, if you're going to give someone a $4,000 couch, you know, there's value there. But again, you, you have to find someone that wants a couch because you're not doing, if, if they don't want a couch and they don't need a couch, they're going to be like, great. So now, now I need to sell this heavy couch and get paid. Um, so, so, so that's just something to consider. So it kind of narrows who you could work with when you're doing trade deals. But in terms of dollar amounts, you know, this is something in all honesty, that there's so many variables. And, I, and I'm going to list out what those are. So it's like follower size is one, but it's definitely not everything because what's more important than follower side, size is actual impression rates. Then you have to look at audience breakdown, past performance as well. You also want to look at that influencer's vertical or category. So some verticals are really saturated. Some are not, right? Like, so, so in, you know, interior design is a niche, right? Compared to like, you know, teen fashion, there are a million influencers doing teen fashion. So, so supply and demand really comes into play, you know, in, in that sense. So it's definitely not a one size fits all. You have to look at the content format as well. So, you know, a long form YouTube video is a very different activation than here's an Instagram story. And so, you know, we've developed pretty complex pricing models over the years, um, just from doing thousands upon thousands of transactions. And I think in terms of like, what those engagements could look like from a micro influencer standpoint, you know, you could be looking at like 500 bucks to 1500 bucks to engage with them. Typically that'll include, you know, one to several posts. Yeah. And it just depends. Right. And like, I, I think this is where if you're a small business layering in the relationship aspect with payment is probably your best way to get something done effectively. Make sure you're getting a competitive rate. But also just, you know, make sure that the content that's being produced is as good as it can be, because if it's half it's not doing you any good. 
Right. When I was first starting out, I had a client who was an influencer here in Miami in the fitness space. And I was kind of dumb at the time <laughs> because she did offer a trade-off. I think she had 30 or 35,000 followers at the time. Now she's up in the 50s. And I didn't really realize the impact that it could have had for the design business to say, yeah, sure, let's go ahead and do that situation. So we didn't really bite on that. And that was before I started getting into the marketing aspect of all this. But looking back on it now, I, she was perfect. She was my perfect demographic in Miami for that. And it would, have, it would have been really valuable for me to do that. And that's what I'm thinking about now. I'm thinking about, okay, looking in my, my Miami market and seeing who it is that I can reach out to. And maybe even if it's something small. So we do like an IGTV video of me at her house picking out paint colors or something like that. I think you can do it depending on your services and what you're offering for your business on so many different levels. You can tailor it to the price point of the influencer, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just really important to understand your customer journey, understand the education curve of your product, right? Like, is it an impulse buy? You know, yeah. If it's an impulse buy and like, let's say you're selling, you know, I use toothpaste as an example. Let's talk about toothbrushes. Like there's a whole trend on Instagram right now where there are these cool, well-designed toothbrushes, which it's a toothbrush. But anyway, so like, but like some are awesome. I, I'm not gonna, I, I actually look at some like, I need to order one. Um, But you're looking at them and you get the value proposition instantly. It's a toothbrush. It's designed really well. It's electric. Like here's a really nice, you know, well-designed electric toothbrush. That's not this bulky piece of hardware that looks like a power drill that's going to sit, you know, on my countertop in my bathroom, right? So, so you get it. Like that, and if the price point's good, it's a quick buy. But if you're selling something like financial services or like interior design services like in your business, you know, people don't just scroll through an ad and say, "You know what? I'm going to go redesign my house right now." It takes a lot of consideration. They really plan. I don't know your business that well, but I'm guessing it's it's probably like Three to six months in terms of considering yeah. uh, this to really to, and then and then making the move mm -hmm. uh, yeah. or more yeah hey we're gonna move great okay let's really plan let's look at swatches and decide what the style is gonna be okay let's go back and forth now now that we have a designer let's go back and forth right so so there's probably this really complex cycle and so you're never gonna convert with just one story or one in feed post or you know even one YouTube video so that's where I think an ambassadorship type of arrangement might work really well, where if you find someone that has that right audience for you, how do you make sure that they're just repeating that message so that you're top of mind when they're considering that move? They're thinking, you know what, I'm going to go work with Darla because, you know, I've heard great things. I understand what she does. I understand the value proposition. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, now the time is right. I'm going to pick up the phone and give them a call, right? And so that's sort of, I think what you have to understand, like any form of marketing is just what does that customer journey look like? And how do you, um, you know, adjust your strategy to, to fit that customer journey? And that is what it looks like for the interior design business. People will follow me on Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever my social channels are for a year or two years and never comment. They'll just be ghosts. And then one day pick up the phone and say, I've been following you on Instagram because it does take time to build that know, like, and trust. But I'm really loving the idea of plugging in an influencer as part of the synergy of that. Eric, is there anything that I've forgotten to ask you that you think the audience needs to hear before we go into the What Up Wingnut round? Let's go into the What Up Wingnut round. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. Okay, Eric DeHaan, what would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Oh my God. 
<laughs> I want to say YOLO, but uh, <laughs> because because it's a t- because it's a tombstone, <laughs> not because that's a motto I live by. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Your sense of humor is great. All right, question number two: It's the zombie apocalypse. What three items are you grabbing from home to take to your bunker? Uh, zombie apocalypse and a bunker. Yeah. Hmm. You only you can only ru- you can only grab th- three things from your house and run to your bunker. Hmm. They already ate you. It's too late. You know, th- th- this is a real yeah. Okay, I'm dead. Um, <laughs> well, at least I'll have a nice tombstone. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I want to say a laptop, but if there's an apocalypse, the internet's probably going to be down. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I feel like the typical answer is like a shotgun. Love uh, it. Bunch of canned food. Okay. And uh, we'll allow that. You know, what else? Uh, one more. Know. Maybe Fine. a camera, so I so I so I could build a following, and <laughs> become a zombie. You could be a, a zombie, zombie apocalypse influencer. <laughs> All right, yeah. awesome. Last but not least, please recommend a book that has affected your life and made you feel some kind of way. Oh my god, uh, I I read a lot, so I I could I can go on, but I. So I might have two. Um, I guess one of the most interesting books I've read, I read it when I was in high school and it's, it's called The World is Flat. It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't part of like the required reading in school. I, you know, it, it was just something that was like, you know, I, I think my dad was reading it and was lying around the house. There was, you know, back then on TV, you had to actually wait for shows to come on that you want to watch. So there's nothing on. <laughs> Started reading it, got hooked. Um, excellent book. And it, it was really, it's really a book about the idea of globalization, the idea that the world is flattening in the sense that competition's increasing. Things like knowledge, access to capital, you know, a- access to to trade and business are becoming so increasingly more accessible. And so that, you know, the whole idea was that we're going to find ourselves in a world where, you know, someone in, you know, my example in LA could be competing with someone on the other side of the world in China in, in real time, business-wise. And, and essentially, uh, you know, now this sounds very obvious, but, you know, this was at a time when you had, you know, brands in the fast fashion category coming out, you had, you know, a, a shift to manufacturing in China. Alibaba was still a pretty new idea. Most Americans didn't really know what it was. So it, it was a very, very interesting book at the time. And I think it really framed my sort of way of thinking. And I think it really helps you think like an economist in many ways, because you really look at the world from the sense of you have you have supply, demand, you have barriers between markets. And then as those barriers go down, you have increased competition, uh, which will drive prices down. And and I thought that was a very, very interesting sort of book that that definitely piqued my interest i i can go on uh <laughs> i think that's good and, and tell you about about more books you certainly piqued my interest the world is flat i hadn't heard of the world is flat i'm gonna have to check that out and put that in my audible queue eric dahan please tell the listeners where they can find out all about you and open influence if they wanted to kind of reach out and grab themselves an influencer for open influence you can go to openinfluence.com. uh you can follow us on instagram or linkedin uh just at open influence for me personally, uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So please follow me. My name is just Eric Dahan, and I'll pop up right there and, and follow me, connect with me, message me. Uh, I'm around. 
All right. I'm going to follow you on LinkedIn. We're going to be Facebook connections momentarily. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us on the podcast. You've been a wealth of information. You have an amazing week. Thank you. You too. So what do you guys think about reaching out in your local market or wherever it is that you want to find business, your ideal client, to a local influencer whose audience and vibe might jive with what you aspire to have for an ideal client or you currently have for an ideal client? Think about what that could look like in trading some services for their influence, for that exposure for your business and reaching their viewers, their followers, who you've determined by doing the research that Eric talked about to figure out what the value propositions are and your content pillars and and all that good stuff. I mean, some of you guys might be thinking, well, gosh, you know, I'm there's a very expensive proposition. We don't like to do things for free or for a bartering kind of situation. But think about it, especially if you're just starting out. You remember, I mean, he didn't use influencer marketing, but Corey Damon Jenkins, right, who was just put on the Architectural Digest 100, uh, AD 100 for interior design industry. For an example, he went and just knocked on doors knocked on doors, went out there and just did jobs just to do jobs, to get his name out there and to build his reputation. Maybe this is a way that we can do this. Think about those connections that you see on Instagram. Or if you're like me in the Miami area and you know that your clients are someone who is just moved into a new home, they want to furnish their new home, or maybe they want to do some remodeling, real estate influencer in Miami, that would be a terrific place for me to start. Or if you're someone whose clients are young moms and just need help designing nurseries or spaces that are functional, maybe there's a mommy blogger or someone in your sphere of influence that you could reach out to and say, hey, my name is uh, Susan McNuggets. This is my business. These are the services I offer. I, I love your brand. I love your style. Would you like to collaborate? Can we work something out? I think you might be surprised at some of those answers. Just figure it out. Figure out what the dollar value is, their followers, and also look at some of those metrics that Eric talked about. What are their impression rates? What is their audience size? What is their engagement rate? What are their demographics? And if you need some help determining that, we can help you here at Wingnut Social for sure. And speaking of, if you like what you hear on this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell you're listening to this podcast on. Be sure to follow us on social at Wingnut Social on all of the social media channels on God's green earth. And if you need help with marketing your business, give us a call at 1-877-WINGNUT. We will be happy to help you out. Happy New Year, everyone. A safe and prosperous New Year. And remember to go out, get uncomfortable, and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 1-877-WINGNUT to see how we can help you take your business from social mediocre to social media master. We'll see you on the next episode of Wingnut Social, your social media tightly fastened. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Clarice. Okay. Eric DeHaan is a Los Angeles native and serial entrepreneur. That's different from a serial killer. It's um still as intense. I don't know where I am in time or space. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
Good boy, Mango.